The rest of us will be looking at the Lord's Prayer. We look at verse 11 of chapter 6 in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 6, 11, page 811, I think, actually, in the Bibles that are in our pews. A simple line in the very center of the, uh, of, uh, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord Jesus was asked to teach us to pray. and In fact, in his great sermon, he taught us to pray, took the initiative. And in the very center of the, of the prayer that the Lord gave us includes the line, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. I, I know the outlines are, there's lots of, many, many outlines that people have, have found in the Lord's Prayer. So many uh, gems, uh, a masterpiece uh, boiling down uh, our human existence in this wonderful prayer. And if you think of it as uh, six petitions, the three petitions that begin have everything to do with God. God's our focus. We're thinking about Him. We're thinking of grand cosmic things. And now we shift to second gear, uh, not unrelated to the first one, because our God, our shepherd, is glorified by the flourishing of his flock, by his sheep. It's when, you know, one of the things, if, if I think one of the things that, that, that you should not do is cast shade upon his bride. You know, don't be discouraged if you see things. And, of course, there are a desire of an evil one to invade and kill and destroy and butcher. But our, our shepherd is an excellent shepherd, and we ought to be so thrilled to gather together to worship him that whatever conflicts and disagreements and difficulties we have, we press through that because he is better than our challenges. Yeah, yes, he is. Uh, so the first three petitions are God-focused. Uh, I'm going to kind of recite the prayer out loud, uh, even in preaching, you're praying and worshiping. So it kind of goes this way. You can actually mumble along with me. Uh, it goes this way. You can keep your eyes open. You're allowed to pray with your eyes open. I know that's, again, another like, is that legal? Does it count as a prayer? Yes, it does. Here we go. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pause. Okay, you got it. That's good. I like an orchestra. Uh, so the first three are all about God, right? Uh, your will be done here on earth as in heaven. Like big things. Do it all for your glory, God. Okay? All right, now we can continue. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the Lord's Prayer. And we're studying it. We're giving it consideration. And today we're looking at that first petition that starts a th series of three that look at our different needs. We started with God. We should keep God at the right order, putting our loves in the order. Right order, it's God first. And, and our needs flow out of his great and grand capacity to provide all that we need. Amen? Yeah, in fact, he meets our, our physical needs. He meets our mental needs. He meets our spiritual needs. Those are all reflected in these next three petitions. And today we're looking at our physical needs. And those are intense because we live moment by moment as human beings needing air needing food, needing bread. Give us this day our daily bread. I have a, an outline for those of you who like to take notes. There are seven things I want to say, I think, from this little simple phrase, things that the Lord Jesus does. There are three ways he expands our praying and the three ways in which he narrows our praying. 
Uh, and then was the so what? We'll get there at the end. So what? You know? So Jesus expanding our praying and harsh perspective on living and three ways in which he's narrowing down our focus, our, our perspective on, on living. Now the first point I want to make, and this is from Matthew 6, 11, I remind you, uh, give us this day our daily bread. The first way in which Jesus expands our praying, our perspective on life, is that our need is larger than we think. I have to get this big book. Our need is larger than we think. I read this book a while back. Uh, I'm interested in economics. Um, and uh, there's, I like this one because it says basic economics, and it's 700 pages long. <laughs> the subtitle is A Common Sense Guide to the Economy. And I thought, 700 pages? How can that possibly be common sense? Like common sense, you think a paragraph. And then, like, you figure it out, you can manage your budget, right? Well, it's an excellent book, uh, Thomas Sowell. I have actually finished it, believe it or not. I'm one of about three people in the county. Um, anyways, but I, I don't even know if he's a believer. I don't really know him. I've come to respect his thought and his logic. It is at least parallel to the principles of Scripture. And he begins the book in a marvelous way, I will say that. In the very beginning, page number two or three, it is two. Listen to what he writes. This is a guy named Thomas Sowell. The Garden of Eden was a system for the production and distribution of goods and services. But it was not an economy because everything was available in unlimited abundance. Without scarcity, there is no need to economize. And therefore, no economics. Huh. A distinguished British economist named Lionel Robbins gave a classic definition of economics. Economics is the study of the use of scarce resources which have alternative uses. What does scarce mean? It means that what everybody wants adds up to more than there is. And that's from there he unfolds. You should read it, all 700 pages. The index is the last 50 pages. It's 650. You, you can handle that. <laughs> no, but his, he's right on, isn't he? Wait a second. Our God, we view in a narrow way as a God of scarcity. We, we, we have all these things and we're clamoring and it's a zero-sum game. If I get something, she doesn't, that kind of thing. That's not the way God designed it to be in the Garden of Eden. And actually, in the prayer that the Lord teaches us, he doesn't teach us to pray as though God is, is, a, is a miser, as though he is a God who's orchestrating how to use scarce resources. He prays like he's an abundant God, able to take five loaves and two fish and feed multitudes. Okay? So when we're praying, our Father, which art in heaven, and we get to the line, give us this day our daily bread, we have to reformat how we pray. Do you understand? Not yet, but you will. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. We have to pray more than we understand. Our needs are larger than we can comprehend. That's very clear because Jesus asks us to pray this every day, apparently. He said, Give us this day our daily, our daily bread. We have a fundamental problem. Our, our issues are foundational. Even Thomas Sowell, whether he understands the Bible or is a believer or not, gets that. That's why he went back to the Garden of Eden. Remember at the very beginning how it all began and actually began with food even back then. Remember what God did. He, he created man and Adam and Eve. He put them in a marvelous garden where there was abundance. In fact, there was only one tree that they were forbidden. Uh, one little test they had to pass. Uh, one little thing they couldn't do. And then this devious creature, the serpent, came to Eve 
Eve in the garden. Do you remember what that thing said? It said, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see how he has, he has a, the devil's promoting a scarcity mindset. That's my point. He wants you to live as though you're barely hanging in there. And he wants you to think poorly and narrowly about our God, not the Lord God. Whereas God is abundant, and we'll see. After a bit of exchange, and of course, unfortunately, men, Adam was there looking on. Remember what happened? The woman, what did she do? She saw that the tree was good for what? Food. We've had a bread problem since almost day one. Well, since the day one of the fall. Prior to that, we had no bread problem. There was no need to pray for daily bread. We knew it was there. It was, we just ate delicious things constantly. The woman saw the tree was good for food. This is Genesis chapter 3. And that it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave also some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Beloved, our fundamental problem, it really can be boiled down to eating at the wrong reasons for the wrong time and in the wrong way. And that has led to a world of hurt and to sweat as we seek to satisfy ourselves rather than him, our God, our sustainer. God curses the serpent. He curses the ground. But if you read carefully, it does not appear that he curses man or or the woman. He doesn't speak a curse upon them. He does say that now childbearing will be painful and that daily bread will now come with pain as well. Genesis 3.19, listen to this about the bread. Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So from that moment on, from the fall, from the sin, in sin problem, man has had a bread problem, right? At the very level, there's, and still to this day, in terms of economics, you know we're living in this anxious age where there's inequalities and, and injustice and people or bullies are rushing into new regions and trying to dominate and take. That's happening in, in, in former Soviet Union regions, a couple of different places right now in the world. In Africa, it's happening. And, and, and I think in some ways, subtly, it's happening in our own culture where, where people are just take, 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 take. And because they're worried about their future, they're worried about themselves and their own, me, myself, and I, promoting selfishness. And they're all, the human condition is partly flawed because we all want to extract more than we contribute. We really all want to extract more than we contribute. We're worried about Social Security. We're worried about the future because we paid our dues. We better get all of our dues. And then we hope we live long enough to extract more than we got, that we gave. There is this human tendency to put himself or herself first. And it's a real mess. But Jesus teaches us differently about this world that we live in and how we ought to view it as his followers. He says, and the very first word of that phrase is give. Now, give means gift. Which flies almost in the face of the fall because out of, the, out of the sweat of the brow, a man shall labor and you shall eat bread. In other words, like it says later on, if a man will not eat or work, he shall not eat kind of thing, right? So we're in charge. And, but, but when Jesus taught us to pray, he didn't say, you should pray this way. Father, give me the bread I deserve. Would you give me what I've earned? That's not what he said. Give to me bread, Lord. Give to me bread, because we all know it. It says in Romans 6, in this room probably, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
right? It's a, it's, a, it's a fundamental shift in your mindset as a human being as you have abandoned one household, I'll call it, with a different kind of master, and joined the household of the living God, that where your older brother, your Savior is Jesus Christ, you're under the household now where he is king, and so you have to shift your allegiance and also your mindset to be stop thinking with anxious thoughts, stop thinking from a scarcity, zero-sum game mindset, and that's just going to be hard for you because... Every news really boils down to that, uh, where, that you listen online or read or whatever. Whereas if you read the scriptures, that is what Satan wants you to think, but God wants you to think through his son, an abundance lifestyle, an abundance mindset, that God is good. Yes, your needs are intense. That's, that's, that's what he does. He does expand our needs that give us this day our daily bread when he teaches us to pray. But he also narrows or focuses our prayer in three ways as well. And the first way Jesus narrows our prayer is this way. He says, give us this day our daily bread. He narrows our prayer to our actual need is bread. I mean, of all the things Jesus could have asked us to pray for, the thing he mentions is bread. Bread stands in for the basic necessities of life. Very rarely do we as Americans, uh, in our late age at least, our affluent Americans, very rarely when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, do you have suddenly in your mind a loaf of honey wheat bread from the, the grocery store, right? You really aren't thinking of that, are you? You're thinking of many things. Maybe the bread is not excluded from the subset of all that you're thinking of that you need, that you're asking God for. But generally, your needs are bigger than that. They're beyond that. You have probably something in your larder already. You probably have enough food at home right now that you could probably, if you didn't leave your house, could survive for at least a week. Whereas other places in the plant, that's still not true. That's still not true. Martin Luther put it this way. Everything necessary for the preservation of this life is bread, including food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, peace. He just got started, I think. There's many more things that you could put in there. Uh, the Lord Jesus, through his Apostle Paul, said it this way, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's one of our verses, I think, Philippians 4.19. My God will supply every need, not want, but every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus, when he says, you should pray this way, he's teaching us how to pray. He says, what you should pray when you begin to reflect on your need, begin with this, Father... Give us this day our daily bread. Begin with bread. He's saying begin with the basics. Don't forget or presume uh, that you have everything you need. For you, you have moved on past bread. You've moved on past other things. But remember, even the most basic thing to the breath that you breathe, to the, the morsel that you'll eat in a moment, you are completely dependent upon God at the most basic level and at actually every level. So he narrows our, our prayer that way. He also narrows our, prayer in our narrows our prayer in our perspective this way. Secondly, our actual need is not just for bread. It is for bread this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, any prayer that includes that phrase, that qualification, give us this day, is necessarily, that petition uh, necessarily implies that this prayer, or at least this way of praying, is something that is to be done every day. In other words, any day that you can say it is today is a day to pray, give us this day our daily bread. You have not lived a day in your life where this prayer 
has not been the, a fundamental part of what you should be doing as a human being, praying at least in this way, if not like reciting by rote this prayer, at least praying and acknowledging to God that once again today I'm awake and once again I'm dependent upon you. And I look to you as a good God and a great chief shepherd that you will care for me well. And I want you to know, God, that my attitude toward you is one of abundance, not of scarcity. I don't look with my eye at you like slantwise and thinking that you're going to give me something only to snatch it away. Or, or like a bully sometimes gives gifts only to play and, and sort of taunt, taunt a person or a project. Uh, that is not the way our God works. He gives great gifts. And in case you wondered, the great commentary on that is here in Matthew 6. So I'm going to go on to verse 19. So if you look on your page, if you happen to have your Bible open, uh, Jesus is going to unpack what that really means in a rather profound way when he says this about giving this day our daily bread. He says this in verse 19, same chapter, same sermon. The Lord Jesus said, preached, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Skipping down to verse 25, the next, another big paragraph of teaching that relates to bread. Listen to this when he says, verse uh, 25, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He prays, he narrows our focus, give us this day our daily bread. Give it to us this day. He, he's really urging us to, to stay on point, to focus and remember, don't worry about the future, don't be anxious about tomorrow or about your kids tomorrow. Don't cling so tightly to this world. Put your attention where your heart should be, that is on Christ. Uh, that is on the bread of life from God, that is on him and, 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 and seeking him. Don't be uh, worried about all those things. Uh, he's not, by the way, forbidding preparing for the future. We do live up north where we can't 
throw seeds out next month <laughs> and expect anything to happen other than things die. Uh, so we do have to prepare. That's, it's not that. The rest of Scripture talks a lot about that. But it is do it in a responsible way as a good steward. One of uh, the quotes I use and I have on my own household budget, there's two or three sentences that are embedded in my budget lines. One of them is this from Larry Burkett. Some of you might remember him from a, a generation or so ago who was a teacher of stewardship principles in, in the church. And he has one sentence that has helped me. He writes this. You should have a goal of how much you want to accumulate. A maximum, not a minimum. Think in terms of storing for provision rather than storing for protection. Think of terms of storing for provision rather than storing for protection. In other words, don't try to set things up so that you don't need God when a difficult day comes, but set up things so that your kids are, are prepared for, that you are prepared for, so that you're not a, a draw away from the community resources so that you have something to contribute above and beyond. Apples for a neighbor or whatever. Do you understand? Not, don't store or accumulate uh, uh, for a, a, minim, a maximum. Seek a minimum level and then give the abundance as God has given you abundantly. So Jesus narrows us by asking us to pray or instructing us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And the third actual uh, way he um, narrows us is by appointing us to daily bread. This is really fascinating. Now, I'm going to go a little geeky here on the Greek because there's a word, and I've said this before, Jesus uses all the weird words in his prayer in Greek. And the word that he uses for daily bread is super weird. In fact, it is so weird until your lifetime, it was the only use of this word that we have ever found on the planet. That's, per I mean, anywhere, not just in the Bible. I'm talking about we can't find it on a building, can't find it on pottery. There's no other reference use of this Greek word daily that's translated daily ever. So the scholars all in previous generations had thought, well, perhaps this is such a unique word that Jesus invents this word, which is really difficult because if he invents a word, what does it mean, <laughs> right? It's really hard to figure out uh, without Jesus by his spirit directing you. And of course he has in previous generations to many a preacher. But we're blessed because recently in our lifetime, at least if you're as old as I am, uh, you, we have found an, another reference to this word somewhere on the planet. It was found in, upper, in the Upper Nile in Egypt. A little papyrus was found with this word. And it was found like in a trash heap, an ancient trash heap. And uh, on the papyrus, if you look at the papyrus, you'll just see it's basically a shopping list. It's a shopping list. And on the shopping list, there is this reference that says, if I can loosely paraphrase, it says this. Oh, and when you're at the market, honey, remember the daily ration. <laughs> remember the daily ration. Remember the daily food that you need. Now, this is, my, my suggestion is then that this is not ex so unique that God had to invent a new word for us, but rather this is so ordinary that even the Greek people of the day is such an ordinary thing, an ordinary item, that they didn't even ever write it down because it was so presumed and assumed. That's why it's daily bread. It's so common, so every day, that they didn't even bother writing it down. Uh, maybe you're to the point, especially if you have little children, where you don't even have to have your wife tell you, oh, and also, honey, get milk. You know, if I'm in the grocery store, I get a gallon of milk. I'm not going to make anyone large families raise their hands, but that's how I work. <laughs> if I'm in the store, oh, yeah, get milk. I don't have to write it down. Or a better analogy, especially for those of us who don't have to get milk all the time, or maybe they're allergic or something, there are things in your life that you don't ever write down. Now, I'm going to have everyone raise your hand in just a second. If you've ever written a to-do list, raise your hand. Raise your hand, okay. Ever in your life. All right, now cast your mind back to the one that you've most recently written, or if you can, nearby. 
Now keep your hand raised if on your to-do list it says, remember to put toothpaste on my toothbrush before brushing my teeth. Raise your hand. Anyone? Yeah, just one of the Laban boys. My kids also were that way. I had to remind them, honey, remember, brush your teeth. Just don't go in there and stare at the mirror. You know, you know of course you don't. Like, you don't think about putting toothpaste on your toothbrush. That, that's such an ordinary, everyday, habitual task. You don't have to put it down on your to-do list. Here's the point. Jesus uses such an ordinary thing when he says, pray for daily bread, that he's inviting us to recognize that even the most routine, the most regular, the most habitual, the most ordinary things that almost go without thinking, without even noticing, even those things were to bring to God because he cares about them. Absolutely everything. He cares even about the quantity of toothpaste on your toothbrush. Which brings me to that realization that our view of God needs to expand. If he expanded our sense of need, our awareness of our need, how fundamental and pervasive our need for bread and all that it means, even the ability to chew is a gift from God, a stomach to digest, all those sort of things. When those are removed, you become keenly aware of them. But Jesus then expands our view. Not only is our need larger than we know, he also teaches us that our God is larger than we think. He cares about more things than you imagine. When we are praying, give us this day our daily bread, we are realizing, we are coming to terms with the fact that Jesus not only invites on God's behalf, but actually commands and instructs his followers to pray about even the most basic ordinary things. Even the things that are teeny tiny. Now, he did start with cosmic, massive things like Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring this thing, history that we live in, to its, its consummation, to its fullness. Jesus, come back, bring the wedding supper of the Lamb, bring the millennial reign, bring your, your final defeat of your great enemy and our stinker that butcher Satan. Bring it all to a conclusion. We are praying those things, but we're also not only praying big things, we're praying on the teeniest, tiniest scale as well for daily bread. This day. God cares about toothpaste, as it were, on your toothbrush. You, you don't dwell on that by any means. You don't even notice or really care about it. I doubt any of you have a little piece of paper on, uh, on your, your mirror that you put a hash mark on how many dots of toothpaste. So you're kind of calculating how many toothpaste dots are in a toothpaste tube, right? And if, like my, my boys, sometimes you're like, you don't need a quarter cup to brush your teeth. <laughs> Anybody have a child that like... <laughs> Oh my goodness. I guess God has given me Samson's. Like just a massive amount of toothpaste can get squirted out of a toothpaste thing. It's amazing. Uh, I used to do the same thing, by the way. I struggled as well. Not because I'm strong. It's because I'm clumsy. Anyways. But God cares about your clumsiness. He knows how awkward you are. <laughs> he knows your needs. He knows that you need this day daily bread. He, and nothing is trivial to him. Not a single detail escapes his notice. He knows the number of hairs on your head. They're monitored. He knows the number of hairs on your neighbor's head. He knows every cell in your body. Every cell in your body is monitored by our living God. Wow. He counts them. He knows that, I don't know what the cycle is, in seven years you'll be a different you, basically. Every cell will be different. How does he do that? How does the chemistry work? I don't understand it. It's beyond me, but God knows. He cares for us. How do we remain the same person? How does our psyche and our memories, I don't understand it, but God knows he keeps it all under his hands and in his control. Jesus said something marvelous. He said, look at the birds of the air. 
One of the great mysteries to me personally, yours truly, is hummingbirds. I do not understand how hummingbirds possibly have survived. I don't get it. I just don't, I don't, I can't fathom how hummingbirds even exist, let alone have survived to where they are today. Because, I mean, if you look at hummingbirds, there's a few still around. They haven't gone south, at least in my neck of the woods yet. But they're so small, they don't seem to have any fat on them, right? They move so swiftly, you can hardly keep your eye on them. Uh, they, and, and as an engineer, I'm geeking out now, but they, when they accelerate, to accelerate quickly, you have to dump a lot of calories, you know this in your car, you use a lot more gas if you want to go 0 to 60 in 3 seconds or whatever. You need a lot more gas, you need a lot more energy. Same thing with a bird or with a human. If you want to run fast, you need more energy. You need to eat quicker the more that you exercise. A hummingbird's incredible. Uh, they, they accelerate at incredible speeds and get very fast, very quickly, and stop on a dime as well. It's really quite amazing. In fact, I, I was joking with the team earlier, a hummingbird's heart rate, according to some numbers, is somewhere around 1,200 beats a minute. That means in one second, their heart is beating 20 times a second. A hummingbird's heart, think on that, beats 20 times a second. And I challenged Tim, our drummer, to try to do that, right? 20 times in a second. It'd be a constant noise, right? 20, and I, 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 this is amazing to me. A hummingbird is such a petite bird, and it moves so rapidly. It uses so many calories. Though it only eats between three and seven and a half calories or so a day, if we had the, I'll call it the um, tempo of life that a hummingbird did as a human being, we would have to eat 155,000 calories today. You can't eat enough ice cream, Greg. I'm going to go home and look at my gallon of ice cream and see how many calories are in the whole thing. That's, a, that's an assignment from the pastor. Go home, find that, or your, your, you know, your protein shake or whatever. Something that has a lot of calories. Figure out how much of that you'd have to eat today to equate to the hummingbird's tempo. Do you see? Now, why does that bother me? But here's why it bothers me. Do you know that a hummingbird, because it is so small and, and uses so many calories, it has to eat every 10 to 15 minutes it's awake or it dies? It has to eat every 10 to 15 minutes or it dies. You're worried about a meal once or twice or three times a day. It's worried about a meal. No, it's not worried, but it needs a meal every 10 to 15 minutes. I just think about how is it, and hummingbirds, by the way, go south. The ones, the ruby-throated hummingbirds that, are, that live around here, uh, that nest here and have their, um, this is their, their mating ground, by the way, they go all the way to Panama by the end of, end of the winter. Wow. How is it, Lord, that they don't happen upon an acre where there's no flowers and nothing to eat, that they just like, and die because they used all the calories before they could get to the thing to eat. How, how do any hummingbirds survive between here in Panama and then back north? The answer, of course, is Matthew 6, 26, look at the hummingbirds, the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I don't know how they survive, but I do know this. Somehow God does it. He feeds them. And then Jesus, here's the zinger, Matthew 6, 26, are you not of more value than they? Wow. I mean, we are the human being and we are anxious about things. That's our condition. We're anxious about daily bread, but hummingbirds need food every 10 to 15 minutes. They're not anxious though. Why aren't they worried about getting enough flour, the next flour, the next bug to eat? Because though they don't know where it comes from, God knows and God provides. You are of much more value than they. 
God has got this. So we are to relax, we're to trust him in both the biggest and smallest ways. Give us this day our daily bread. Now I want to say that, what does that mean practically? It means that you don't have to be afraid about your future. You should be faithful today, but don't bite off more than you can chew. That's what the brother of Jesus said. You say, I'm going to make this plan tomorrow, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Baloney, you just live for today. Be faithful today. My goodness, that's enough for you to chew (laughs) and to do it well for the glory of God. Just do today well. Uh, We live in an anxious age. We live around very nervous people. And of course, that's the way it's going to be. The fools around us, the Proverbs warn us, the fools will say, there's a lion in the street. Ah, everything Everything freaks them out. Not if you're in the household of God anymore. You know he's going he's gonna to provide. Even if your track record isn't perfect, where you actually have spent days or weeks without food and hunger, you still know that it's better to be in his house than in a butcher named Satan's house. Because God provides for us. Uh, he says he'll give it to us or to our neighbor for our sake. We are not to be anxious about scarcity. I was reading one of my commentaries on Matthew, on his prayer here, Matthew 6. This is from 1981, and it could have been read, it could have been written yesterday, which is telling to me that uh, even since the day, about the day I was born, we have been anxious, anxious, anxious about the same things, which tells me that my great-grandkids will still be anxious about these same things, which are this. The, The commentator writes, we live in a day when people are afraid that they're going to lose their existence because of the pollution of our resources. We're afraid of nuclear reactors messing up our environment. We're afraid of polluting our waters and of overpopulation. We're afraid of smog. We're afraid of air pollution. We're afraid of breaking up the ozone layer. We're afraid of poisoning our bodies with chemicals. We're afraid of our food. We're afraid without our food. We're afraid of money. We're afraid without having money. With all the money and the resources we have, it seems like man's always on the brink of destroying and devastating his environment. That ought to give us, or rather, that ought to drive us to recognize that God upholds the whole thing. I don't want to be oversimplistic because what we know now as a believer is that we are in a conflict of kingdoms. There is the kingdom, the kingdom where Jesus is king and all those in his household are good stewards or learning to be practicing good stewardship. But outside his kingdom, outside of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the Lord with Christ as king, there are hundreds, thousands, billions actually of kingdoms, all who really have the same boss, the same butcher, Beelzebub, Satan over them all. And it is clear that Satan doesn't give one whit not only about the hummingbirds, but he doesn't care one whit about human beings. In fact, he desires to kill them and destroy them. And if he has to destroy the, the environment, he has to destroy our home in order to kill us, so, so be it. That's part of, his, part of his strategy. But we are to take heart realizing that there is a manager above this planet and above us that he can take care of all the things above our pay grade. All the things. If there was anyone who should have been anxious about continuing in existence, it should have been a chap named Noah. Because he actually saw the earth get scraped clean. He actually lived through that, through waters. But after coming off the ark, the Lord God says to Noah, this beautiful verse, uh, and my brother Kip brought this to my attention, it's a beautiful verse, Genesis 8.22. While the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. How? Is it because there's a good committee, a good state, a good group of churches monitoring this? No. It's because God is guaranteeing these things. He's guaranteeing that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. 
Why? Because he's a generous God and he's competent. That's what Adam and Eve believed the lie that he wasn't competent or good or generous. Stop falling into that same scarcity mindset of your neighbors and thinking if you get something, they have to do without baloney. If God gives you something good, great. Use it for his glory and maybe use it for your neighbor as well, right? That brings me to the last thing, how we are praying corporately too. It doesn't say give me and mine, my day, my daily bread. It says give us each day our daily bread. Jesus is, he cares about us in fundamental ways. Jesus came, why else did he come as a man? It seems like he, he went out of his way to heal diseases when he was on the planet earnestly concerned about physical hunger. The disciples were clueless, but he brought to their attention that there were a lot of people in a field who needed a food. What were they going to do about it? Our Heavenly Father is eager to give you what you need. How eager is he? He, he? he desires us to pray this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. He wants us to pray that way, not because God resents this constant badgering by a child. Daddy, can I have more food? Daddy, can I have more food? Daddy, can I have more food? But because he's glad of our desire to know he is the one who gives good food. He wants us to constantly ask him to seek his face. And that's why he's expanding our prayer in that way. Thirdly, our community is larger than we think. Give us this day our daily bread. And the so what of all this is to pray. I'm just going to finish with that. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray it in this way. Pray it in ways that declare you are dependent upon God, that you, you think the world of him. In fact, he not only sustains the world you think of, you, you live on, that he gives you all that you need. You return to him every day, delighted to have to do so, not resenting that you need him again today, but because he's available even to you today, again and again and again. It's a real life. This is life. He said it in John 17, 3, I think it is. This is life that you may know him that is God. The thing about this prayer is when you say, give us this day our daily bread, in the context of the whole prayer, it must mean, yes, he cares about our daily needs, but he also wants us to see something beneath the bread. Remember what Jesus said, I tell you that I am the bread of life. Remember when he was tempted by Satan with bread too? What did you, because Jesus was hungry after 40 days doing without, take this stone if you're the Messiah and turn it into bread. What did he say? I tell you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God. What is he saying? He's saying what Judy said when she was asked this week. What is God teaching you through this cancer? And her response was to focus on Christ, not on Christ healing me. I asked her permission to share that. If I may translate that into our prayer now for the food, when we are praying, give us this day our daily bread. If Jesus is the bread of life, the bread from heaven, it means this. We are to focus on Christ not on Christ feeding us. Now, he's an excellent shepherd. He's going to feed us. He's going to feed us. And we need to be in that family that's so thrilled with our provider, so tickled pink, as someone might say, that we get Jesus as king. So full of joy, reverent joy, enthusiasm that we even have to adopt rock and roll to capture our level of zeal and enthusiasm that we are trying to scale to the magnificence of our God. That when people see us 
And they think, whatever is going on in that household, I want to bail on the place I'm at with the butcher I'm under and come to a good shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep. Because the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Our Father in heaven, we are reveling at what you have given us. You have given us a feast in Jesus Christ. And even on our hungry days, or worse, even on a day when we have all that we need physically or the world can offer, but still it's like sawdust in our mouths that doesn't satisfy. And we don't know where to turn. We just know that we're not fulfilled, that we're not happy, that we're lonely, and we feel unloved, unwanted, and we are even maybe despairing. You have taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And right now, Lord, I want to pray for that young man who's in my life, uh, not in my family, but outside of it, who I care about, who is in such a dark place that he despairs of even continuing to live. Oh, Jesus, that you just open his eyes to see that you are good. It doesn't matter what your friends think or whatever you're doing in school or whatever. To taste and know Jesus' life. And once we have you, we have everything we need. All everything else is just like donuts on top of it. It's, it's the icing on the cake. To have you, the bread of life, is sufficient. And to go forward and live each day with you at the center, with you at the driver's seat, with you as our master, our king, our shepherd. This is life. Oh, that you might awaken his heart to that reality. That you might pierce the gloom of his heart and mind and anyone else who's in that situation who's listening. That they might see that there is a way of eternal satisfaction and happiness and it's in Jesus Christ. May it be so. Magnify your name, O God, by saving many and by providing for all. In Christ's name, amen.